Section 38 of Curiosities of Literature, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Greg Giordano. Curiosities of Literature Volume 3 by Isaac Desraeli Of Literary Filchers An honest historian at times will have to inflict severe stroke on his favorites. This has fallen to my lot, for in the course of my researches I have to record that we have both forgers and purloiners as well as other more obvious impostors in the republic of letters the present article descends to relate anecdotes of some contrivances to possess our literary curiosities by other means than by purchase and the only apology which can be alleged for the splendida piccata as st austin calls the virtues of the heathen of the present innocent criminals is their excessive passion for literature and otherwise the respectability of their names according to gross's classical dictionary of the vulgar tongue we have had celebrated collectors both in the learned and vulgar idioms but one of them who had some reasons too to be tender on this point distinguished this mode of completing his collections not by book-stealing but by book-coveting on some occasions in mercy we must allow of softening names were not the spartans allowed to steal from one another and the bunglers only punished it is said that pinelli made occasional additions to his literary treasures sometimes by his skill in an art which lay much more in the hand than in the head however as Pinelli never stirred out of his native city, but once in his lifetime, when the plague drove him from home, his field of action was so restricted that we can hardly conclude that he could have been so great an enterpriser in this way. No one can have lost their character by this sort of exercise in a confined circle, and be allowed to prosper. A light-fingered mercury would hardly haunt the same spot. However, this is as it may be it is probable that we owe to this species of accumulation many precious manuscripts in the catonian collection it appears by the manuscript notebook of sir nicholas hyde chief justice of the king's bench from the second to the seventh year of charles i that sir robert cotton had in his library records evidences ledger books original letters and other state papers belonging to the king for the attorney-general of that time to prove this showed a copy of the pardon which sir robert had obtained from king james for embezzling records etc footnote lansdowne manuscript eight 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 in the former printed catalogue article seventy nine end of footnote guff has more than insinuated that rawlinson and his friend umfreville quote, lie under very strong suspicions end quote. and he asserts 
that the collector of the Wilton treasures made as free as Dr. Willis with his friend's coins. Footnote. Coins are the most dangerous things which can be exhibited to a professed collector. One of the fraternity, who died but a few years since, absolutely kept a record of his pilferings. He succeeded in improving his collection by attending sales also, and changing his own coins for others in better preservation. End of footnote. But he has also put forth a declaration relating to Bishop Moore, the famous collector, that, quote, the bishop collected his library by plundering those of the clergy in his diocese. Some he paid with sermons or more modern books. Others, less civilly, only with a quid illiterate cum libris. End quote. This plundering then consisted rather of cajoling others out of what they knew not how to value, and this is an advantage which every skilful lover of books must enjoy over those whose apprenticeship has not expired. I have myself been plundered by a very dear friend of some such literary curiosities, in the days of my innocence, and of his precocity of knowledge. However, it does appear that Bishop Moore did actually lay violent hands in his snug corner on some irresistible little charmer, which we gather from a precaution adopted by a friend of the bishop, who one day was found busy in hiding his rarest books, and locking up as many as he could. On being asked the reason of this odd occupation, the bibliopolist ingeniously replied, quote, The Bishop of Eli dines with me today. End quote. This fact is quite clear, and here is another as indisputable. Sir Robert Saville, writing to Sir Robert Cotton, appointing an interview with the founder of the Bodleian Library, cautioned Sir Robert that, quote, If he held any book so dear as that he would be loath to lose it, he should not let Sir Thomas out of his sight, but set the book aside beforehand. End quote. A surprise and detection of this nature has been revealed in a secret piece of history by Amelot de la Jose, which terminated in very important political consequences. He assures us that the personal dislike which Pope Innocent X bore to the French had originated in his youth, when cardinal, from having been detected in the library of an eminent French collector, of having purloined a most rare volume. The delirium of a collector's rage overcame even French politesse. The Frenchman not only openly accused his illustrious culprit, but was resolved that he should not quit the library without replacing the precious volume. From accusation and denial, both resolved to try their strength. But in this literary wrestling match, the book dropped out of the cardinal's robes, and from that day he hated the French at least their more curious collectors. Even an author on his dying bed, at those awful moments, should a collector be by his side, may not be considered secure from his too curious hands. Sir William Dugdale possessed the minutes of King James's life, written by Camden, till within a fortnight of his death, as also Camden's own life, which he had from Hackett, the author of the folio life of Bishop Williams who, 
adds Aubrey, quote, did filch it from Mr. Camden as he lay a-dying. He afterwards corrects his information by the name of Dr. Thorndike, which, however, equally answers our purpose, to prove that even dying authors may dread such collectors. The medalists have, I suspect, have been more predatory than those subtractors of our literary treasures, not only from the facility of their conveyance, but from a peculiar contrivance, which of all things, which admit of being secretly purloined, can only be practiced in this department. For they can steal, and no human hand can search them, with any possibility of detection. They can pick a cabinet and swallow the curious things, and transport them with perfect safety, to be digested at their leisure. An adventure of this kind happened to Baron Stosh, the famous antiquary. It was in looking over the gems of the royal cabinet of medals that the keeper perceived the loss of one. His place, his pension, and his reputation were at stake, and he insisted that Baron Stosh should be most minutely examined. In this dilemma, forced to confession, this erudite collector assured the keeper of the royal cabinet that the strictest search would not avail. Quote, Alas, sir, I have it here within. End quote, he said, pointing to his breast. Any medic was suggested by the learned practitioner himself, probably from some former experiment. This was not the first time that such a natural cabinet had been invented. The antiquary, valiant, when attacked at sea by an Algerine, zealously swallowed a whole series of Syrian kings. When he landed at Lyon, groaning with his concealed treasure, he hastened to his friend, his physician, and his brother antiquary Dufour, who at first was only anxious to inquire of his patient whether the medals were of the higher empire. Valent showed two or three, of which nature had kindly relieved him. A collection of medals was left to the city of Exeter, and the donor accompanied the bequest by a clause in his will, that should a certain antiquary, his old friend and rival, be desirous of examining the coins, he should be watched by two persons, one on each side. Le Croix informs us in his life that the learned Charles Patton, who has written a work on medals, was one of the present race of collectors. Patton offered the curators of the public library at Bazel to draw up a catalogue of the cabinet of Amberback, there preserved, containing a good number of medals. But they would have been more numerous had the catalogue writer not diminished both them and his labour by sequestering some of the most rare which were not discovered till this plunderer of antiquity was far out of their reach when guff touched on this odd subject in his first edition of his british topography an academic in the gentleman's magazine for august seventeen seventy two insinuated that this charge of literary pilfering was only a jocular one on which Guff, in his second edition, observed that this was not the case, and that, quote, one might point out enough light-fingered antiquaries in the present age to render such a charge extremely probable against earlier ones, End quote. The most extraordinary part of this slight history is that our public denouncer some time after proved himself to be one of those, quote, light-fingered antiquaries, End quote. The deed itself, however, 
was more singular than disgraceful at the disinterment of the remains of edward i around which thirty years ago assembled our most erudite antiquaries guff was observed as stevens used to relate in a wrapping great coat of unusual dimensions that witty and malicious puck so capable himself of inventing mischief easily suspected others and divided his glance as much on the living piece of antiquity as on the elder in the act of closing up the relics of royalty there was found wanting an entire forefinger of edward i and as the body was perfect when opened a murmur of dissatisfaction was spreading when puck directed their attention to the great antiquary in the watchman's great coat from whence too surely was extracted edward the first's great forefinger so that the light-figured antiquary was recognized ten years after he denounced the race when he came to try his hand footnote it is probable that the story of guff's pocketing the forefinger of edward i was one of the malicious inventions of george stevens after he discovered that the antiquary was among the few admitted to the untombing of the royal corpse stevens himself was not there sylvanus urbane the late respected john nichols who must know much more than he cares to record of puck has however given the following secret history of what he calls Quote, ungentlemanly and unwarrantable attacks end quote, on guff by stevens it seems that stevens was a collector of the works of hogarth and while engaged in forming his collection wrote an abrupt letter to guff to obtain from him some early impressions by purchase or exchange guff resented the manner of his address by a rough refusal for it is admitted to have been a peremptory one thus arose the implacable vengeance of stevens who used to boast that all the mischievous tricks he played on the grave antiquary who was rarely overkind to any one was but a pleasant kind of revenge end of footnote end of section thirty seven recording by greg giordano newport ritchie florida